Hey everyone, before we get started on today's episode, I want to tell you about a new smartphone that we love here at Brave Parenting. It is perfect for parents and children. It has no browser, no Wi-Fi, no social media, no games, no app store, and cannot send or receive images. But it has everything your child needs. In addition to making phone calls and sending text messages, it has a calendar, camera, voice recorder, music, stopwatch, and an alarm. Gab Wireless has released their brand new phone and you are going to love it. No more worrying about whether parental controls are set up correctly. No more worrying about what apps your child is installing on their phone. And the setup is easy because this phone was designed by parents for parents. We ourselves have tested this Gab phone with our own children and we absolutely love it. Even better, it looks great too. The Gab phone is an Android-based smartphone that looks as sleek and stylish as any other smartphone on the market. Even more, the Gab phone is only $99.99. Why pay hundreds of dollars for a smartphone when you can get everything your child needs at this unbelievable price? You also don't have to worry about spotty coverage. Gab Wireless utilizes America's leading 4G LTE network for only $20 a month with no long-term contracts or commitment. Compare that to plans by other major providers, and this too is a great deal for parents looking to save money. If you are considering a smartphone for your child, you can learn more about the Gab phone by Gab Wireless at braveparenting.net slash gab. If you use our promo code BRAVE19 at checkout, you'll also receive $5 off your purchase of the Gab phone, saving you even more. Again, go to braveparenting.net slash gab, G-A-B-B, to learn more about Gab Wireless and use promo code BRAVE19 B-R-A-V-E-1-9 at checkout to receive $5 off your order. And now on to today's show. Hi, and welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast. I am your host and the founder of Brave Parenting, Kelly Newcomb. And this is where you'll get the encouragement, insight, and information you need to raise children of character and our culture saturated with media and technology. We call it brave parenting because it takes courage and hard work to not only stay on top of changing technology, but then choose how to incorporate that into your family's life. Our ultimate goal here is to keep you educated and equipped to raise your tech-savvy kids. Welcome to this week's show. This week, we're going to be talking about the Common Sense Media's 2019 Census, as well as the OK Boomer trend, our character virtue of focus will be on empathy, and our app focus is on house party. All right, in today's news, Common Sense Media has released their 2019 census. This is a nationwide survey of 1,600 random 8 to 18-year-olds in order to discover the media that is used by these teens and tweens. Now, the founder and CEO of Common Sense Media, James Steyer, introduced this census by saying, quote, I see the findings of this common sense census playing out at home daily, and they concern me. For all the value and hope we put on and in the promise of technology as a way for kids to learn, connect, and create, Kids in 2019 are feeling increasingly anxious and isolated, and very few 
take advantage of the creative opportunities that access to technology affords them. He goes on to say that the study findings shows worrisome indicators as our most vulnerable population, that is our kids, are navigating the increasingly sophisticated challenges of a digital world shaped by an unregulated industry that has little regard for their health or well-being. These are poignant words from this founder of Common Sense Media and really echo a lot of the concerns from our own hearts as parents. So let's dive into some of these findings that he says are very worrisome regarding our kids in 2019. Well, the census found that the amount of daily screen time that is not being used for school or homework for tweens, which is going to be defined as ages 8 to 12, is now 4 hours and 44 minutes a day. Teenagers, which is going to be defined as 13 to 18, their average screen time is 7 hours and 22 minutes a day. Definitely can be concerning when you consider that that's not even including screen time that they may be using in school or for homework. Another key finding was that smartphone ownership has risen dramatically. By age 11, a majority of our kids, that is 53%, have their own smartphone. And by age 12, more than two-thirds have their own smartphone, representing 69%. What I find interesting is that if we look at the comparison between 2019 census and the 2015 census that Common Sense Media did, we see that only 11% of 8-year-olds in 2015 had smartphones. But today, in 2019, we see that 19% of our 8-year-olds now have smartphones. A very big increase. Also, In 2015, when we look at our 18-year-olds, this is the age of adult where we would assume that they have their smartphones. In 2015, only 77% of our 18-year-olds had smartphones. And now in 2019, a solid 91% of 18-year-olds have them. 2015 seemed like just yesterday, just four years ago, and yet we had still a quarter of our 18-year-olds not owning their own smartphone. So you can see how this trend can definitely be concerning. One of the most intriguing findings of the Common Sense Census is about screen media activities. Online video viewing is through the roof. More than twice as many young people watch videos every day than they did in 2015. And the average time spent watching videos has doubled. Now, tweens and teens average about an hour a day of watching online videos. And to no surprise, YouTube is dominating as the most used video space. The second most common way that kids are spending their screen and media time is through playing games. Probably not surprising, but I think what is surprising is the finding that Tweens and teens are spending 3% or less of their screen time on actual content creation, which goes back to what the founder and CEO James Sire said, where very few are taking advantage of the creative opportunities that access to technology affords them. When we consider why we give our children smartphones, we often feel like we do so because Not only do they want to connect with their friends, but they need to be relevant with what culture and society is leading them towards. 
They need to know how to navigate this technology in order to be successful. At least that's what we believe. But when we look at it in these actual findings, it seems as though they're not using it to become tech savvy or to make any sort of advancements, but more that they're just being entertained. They're just consuming videos, video games, social media, and this is concerning. And one final key finding that I feel is very important for us as parents is that the vast majority of young people are not using tools to track their screen time, nor are their parents. When we look at our younger kids, our 8 to 12-year-olds, only 15% are tracking their daily screen time. And our teenagers, only 12%. But what's worse is that parents aren't monitoring them either. Only 14% are tracking their teenagers' regular use of screen time. With tools and resources available, whether it be through Apple's screen time or Android's digital well-being or third-party apps such as Moment that enables you to see what you're spending your time on on your smartphone or just the whole amount of time that you're spending, there really isn't any reason why we shouldn't be doing this and encouraging our children to do this. When you can actually see that you spent six hours, eight hours, nine hours, or maybe even just one hour doing a certain activity and then wonder, was that time really worth it? That is crucial for us to be able to self-regulate and really begin to practice the the virtue of self-control when it comes to our smartphone. We have to remember that these smartphones are not neutral technology. They are created to keep us engaged. And as parents, we have to really encourage and admonish our children to monitor their own screen time as well as we monitor our own. All right, next in news, the OK Boomer has become the anthem for a frustrated generation. Taylor Lorenz, who writes for the New York Times, details in her article how the OK Boomer trend began on TikTok and became the retaliatory retort for Gen Z to use against anyone older than them who doesn't understand. She describes that basically teens are fed up with the older generations and how they have been, quote, left with the short end of the stick. With rising inequality, unaffordable college tuition, political polarization exacerbated by the internet, and the climate crisis, all of these are fueling this anti-boomer sediment, according to Lorenz. So what we see here is that anytime there is someone of an older generation, whether you be a millennial, a Gen X, a baby boomer, or on, and you say something that the young people don't agree with, their response is just, okay, boomer. It's sort of a, a cutting yet not so offensive way to reply to someone who's older to try and get the point across of, I hear you, but I'm not listening to you because you don't understand. The article goes on to say that, okay, boomer is really just a state of mind. And according to one teen interviewed, anyone can be a boomer with the right attitude. You don't like change. You don't understand new things, especially related to technology. You don't understand equality. Being a boomer is just having that attitude. It can apply to anyone who is bitter toward change. And maybe you've already heard your kids respond to you this way. I think it's important for us to acknowledge that this trend is there, this change in language, this new retort that they want to give to older people. 
especially as we talk about empathy in just a bit as our character virtue. We have to recognize that just because we can express frustration like that online, we really cannot be truly empathetic behind a screen. Just as we as parents can't understand what it's like to be a teen and the struggles that they go through on a daily basis with maybe depression, anxiety, or loneliness just by watching maybe their Snapchat story, teens can't understand us as parents and why we struggle to adapt to all these rapidly changing technologies because we didn't grow up this way. So it's very hard for both of us to be empathetic. Even more, there's a a very good chance that most young people cannot even begin to empathize with the baby boomers and the generation even above them who fought in wars for the very freedom and equality that our culture now embraces. Why? Why can't they empathize with these older generations and what they went through? Well, one of the reasons is we talked about with the Common Sense Media 2019 census is because they're spending so much time on screens. And if we were to do a study of the baby boomer generation, how much time they spend on screens, we might also be equally alarmed. The reality is, is that everyone is on a screen and there is less connection, less relationship happening. We aren't engaging anymore whether it be the baby boomers with the young generation or the young generation with the baby boomers. We're not listening to stories of their, of their childhood back in the 30s or the 40s and what that was like. And we're not learning how to empathize. Without this shared time and experience, especially between grandparents and grandchildren, both generations are missing out on the ability to empathize. We call kids today snowflakes because we can't empathize with what their life is like. They say, okay, boomer, because they can't empathize with what our life was like. So if you hear this come out of your child's mouth or from someone, okay, boomer, it's definitely time to start a conversation about empathy and how we can greater relate to one another through relationship. We always have to remember that relationships are greater than screens. All right, our character virtue is empathy. The ability to be empathetic is to understand and share the feelings of another. According to Clifton Strength Finders, a person with strong empathy can sense the emotions of those around you. You can feel what they are feeling as though their feelings are your own. Intuitively, you are able to see the world through their eyes and share their perspective. What a gift, right? Well, some benefits of empathy is that it allows people to build social connections with others. Empathizing with others also helps you to learn to regulate your own emotions, and empathy promotes helping and serving behaviors. When we think of our children, especially our teenagers, we think, yes, we want all these benefits. We want our children to be able to build strong connections, regulate their emotions, and be willing to help and serve others. So how can we build this empathy? Well, we have to acknowledge that technology has a big part in this right now. There's a great concern amongst medical professionals, psychologists, and researchers regarding the loss of empathy with the increased amount of screen media that our children have. Let's take a look at some habits and behaviors of empathetic people and then consider how technology and media can interfere with these behaviors. 
So this is taken from The Seven Habits of Highly Empathetic People, written by Melody Welding for Inc.com. Number one, empathetic people are fully present with others. We can easily see how screen media can take us away from being fully present with others, not just our kids, but for us as well. We are taking away from being fully present with our own children by our smartphones. Number two, empathetic people have mastered the art of active listening. This is where we're really engaged and we're listening. We're reflecting, saying, what I hear that you're saying is, and we're repeating it back and we're affirming them with, yeah, I understand. And we're also encouraging them by saying, and then what? And asking to hear more. Active listening is so hard when we consider the notifications that come into our phone. Other studies have shown that just the mere presence of a smartphone can decrease our cognitive ability, always being concerned about a notification that may come in. Whereas if our smartphone is off, or even out of sight, we have the ability to be better active listeners, more present because we're not seeing or thinking about the notifications coming in on the smartphone. Number three, empathetic people tune into nonverbal communication. This is where we're looking at the expression on their face, their hand motions, how their shoulders are sitting, the way that their eyes move, These are cues of nonverbal communication that when we look at it, these are just completely absent when we're in the digital space. Yes, you can see some when you're through FaceTime or video conferencing of sort, and that's great. As we are going to talk about in our app focus today, House Party, that is a goal of House Party is to build empathy through actual face-to-face digital communication. But in general, we lose a lot of the empathy when we're only texting our conversations with our friends and our family because we are not seeing and recognizing the nonverbal communication going on. Number four, empathetic people pause. They're okay with silence. They're okay reflecting and then coming up with a response that is appropriate. They don't have to have the answers right away, that they're okay pausing while they listen, while they reflect, And then being able to put themselves into the other person's feeling, into their perspective, they can then respond. So often, digital media and digital communication is all about instant, instant response, instant communication. When we don't have someone respond immediately, we get concerned. Oh no, do they hate me? What's going on? Are they kidnapped? Why aren't they responding? And again, that does not help build empathy. It's okay to be okay with silence, even if it's through a text message. We need to remember that and also apply that to those face-to-face relationships so that we can build that empathy. Number five, empathetic people replace giving advice with asking questions. Say, so how do you feel about that? Can you tell me more? When we ask these type of questions, it enables more conversations. We want to see the world through their eyes and understand. Very often in the digital space, because we are very quick, very instant, quick fix kind of interactions, it's very easy just to throw out some quick advice. Even if it's someone you don't know, it's not about being empathetic. It's just about, here, here's my advice. This is my knowledge. This is my wisdom. Take it, move on, whether that be on social media or through texting, 
Rarely do we see a lot of empathy being shown through asking more questions because texting can be hard. It's hard to describe your feelings over text, describe them over social media in a public space. This is why face-to-face communication is so good at building empathy. Number six, empathetic people speak in terms of we and not me. Research has actually shown that changing your language is a great step towards empathy. And when we look at our online spaces, it is very much an individualistic, self-centered, all about me type of environment. Social media, the selfies that are posted, it is usually all about me. When we're empathetic, we can say, we're going to get through this. We're going to help you. We're going to find a solution. It's not just, I'm going to do this for you, or you're just going to figure this out. It is very much of togetherness is always better than being individual. Number seven, empathetic people, imagine others' point of view. It is so important for us to assume a positive intent. That is, giving people the benefit of the doubt that they are coming from a respectful place or a good place, or maybe even that they're coming from a place of pain and of hurt, and we can empathize with that. And instead of responding with more pain or more hate, we respond with kindness and empathy. So often on social media, it's easy to assume negative or malicious intent with someone's posts. Some people just post things without even thinking twice. And maybe there is some malicious intent, especially when we consider our young people and our teens, the way they interact. So when we consider building empathy, this is something that we can begin to practice at home in our conversations with our kids is even though we might be hurt by someone, how can we assume positive intent? How can we always think about the situation they're going through in order to become more empathetic? Now, what's interesting is we consider empathy and technology. Right now, scientists and engineers are working on making artificial intelligence more empathetic. That is, the computer itself is going to be able to recognize our emotions and tone of voice and then respond accordingly in a more empathetic way. So whether this feature is simply to aid in our affection and our dependency for that AI device, maybe such as Alexa, or because we are culturally severely lacking empathy and we need it and the computers are able to provide it, we really should probably question whether or not an empathetic AI-controlled device can really ever replace human relationship and connection. Because it can't. Try as it may, the internet and all of its algorithms will never be able to replace a hug from a friend or a mother's listening ear, or a father's wise advice, all of that happens in connection and in relationship with one another. While the digital space provides excellent tools for broadening our reach and connection, we can never forget that connecting with those closest to us, learning to be empathetic, is the best way for us to not only survive this cultural change, towards digital dependency, but also to thrive because relationships are so crucial to our personal happiness and well-being. All right, our app focus today is on House Party. Now, the basics of House Party. House Party is a mobile app for live video chatting. 
It allows users to simultaneously chat with up to eight separate friends or have side text conversations that disappear after 24 hours. Some people say it is a perfect mix between FaceTime and Snapchat. According to the Google Play and App Store, the details are that House Party is a face-to-face social network where you can connect with the people you care most about. The app makes connecting face-to-face effortless, alerting you when your friends are, quote, in the house and ready to chat so you can jump right into a conversation. All right, now creating an account. After you download the app and create an account using a unique username, you can add your phone number to give the app access to your contact list. This automatically allows you access to anyone on your list. If you wish to skip your phone number, you can also manually enter the house party username of anyone you wish to chat with. After creating your account, you are free to create, quote, rooms for separate video chats. Now, when you create your account, it's important to note that the app has access to your storage, your location, your phone, microphone, Wi-Fi connection, all of your contacts, your device ID and call information, photos, medias, files, as well as your camera. So quite a bit of access is given to House Party. Now, each House Party user has a unique invite code that is accessed through the plus symbol in the upper right-hand corner. When clicked on, the plus automatically opens up a text message that includes the code so you can invite friends into a video chat. Now, chat rooms. When creating rooms for video chats, you are given specific control to pick who exactly you wish to chat with. These rooms come with filters to block out anyone not explicitly invited. This prevents eavesdropping and unwanted snooping. Although you may receive requests to chat from anyone, you are free to ignore these requests and stay silent. This is a definite advantage of the app. It is a two-way street. No video chat can begin without agreement from both users. Now, if you don't take the time to lock your chat room and choose privacy settings, others can pop into the video chat. Although you may have chosen to chat with a few specific friends, any of their mutual friends or of yours can choose to enter that chat if the privacy filters are not in use. Now, House Party does give a sort of stranger danger warning if an uninvited user sneaks into the chat. All right, Epic Games. Now, House Party has been acquired by Epic Games, who you may remember from last week's show is the owners and creators of Fortnite. According to a House Party blog post, they say, quote, by teaming up with Epic, creator of Fortnite and Unreal Engine, we're able to help even more people connect with their friends, family, and peers. Joining Epic is a great step forward in achieving our mission of bringing empathy to online communication, said the founder and CEO of House Party. He went on to say, quote, we have a common vision to make human interaction easier and more enjoyable and always with respect for user privacy. So you can already see some House Party technology in Fortnite's, quote, party hub feature in the, inside the Fortnite game. And finally, parental controls and ratings. Now, House Party doesn't use any type of age verification, and there really aren't any parental controls other than the ability to filter and block out people from the the chat rooms by locking them. However, Bark is currently able to monitor House Party on Android devices, unfortunately not on iOS devices because 
of Apple's restrictions. Now, specifically, Bark will monitor the nodes, which are the messages passed between users while inside the app. They will monitor it and look for anything inappropriate or something concerning, and then alert you, the parent, about that, giving you the ability to have an open dialogue with your child about that content. Now, the App Store rates House Party as a 12-plus app. Google Play rates it T for teen. We at Brave Parenting are okay with this app for high school students who are mature enough to be able to use it safely. Now, explicit content is always possible anytime you're opening the camera up to teenagers, but this app doesn't necessarily promote that type of behavior, nor does it have a reputation for it. But it's important for your teen to understand the rules for safe use, really only chatting with known close friends and locking chat rooms for privacy and safety. Also a great idea to make sure that they are using this video chat feature in open spaces, whether they're maybe be in their bedroom, but the door's open, or they're in the family room, or some room in the house that is open, that way you can ensure that there isn't inappropriate activity going on. Also, if you are allowing your child to use House Party for video chatting, it's important to stress the importance of character and behavior. Now that it's super easy for someone to screen record even a a live video chat such as House Party, anything that you say, anything you do, whether it be gossip or whether it be something embarrassing, could be screen recorded and used against you, whether through bullying, shaming, or just trying to be funny. And that could really destroy a child. So always stress the importance of character and behavior when using House Party. All right, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you missed anything in the show or you want to learn more, you can find us online at braveparenting.net. If you have any questions about what we discussed today or stories that you would like to share, please email us at podcast at braveparenting.net. We would love to hear from you. For an in-depth look at how you can build strong character using the technology children love, pick up a copy of our book, Managing Media, Creating Character, available on Amazon. Don't forget to subscribe if you are listening on iTunes, Google, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Thank you so much for listening to the Brave Parenting Podcast, where we believe that character is greater than media and every child needs a brave parent willing to set a new standard. Until next week, go and be brave.